0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to Tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Right there, right there. What Billy up?
0: This is the game. I mean, it's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> yes.
1: He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant.
0: Fall Obsession, baby.
2: Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another Fall Obsession podcast episode. I'm Sam Thrash with Fall Obsession. I'll be your host for this week's podcast episode. And join me on the line is a first-timer to our Fall Obsession podcast and a big content contributor to our organization. He is a pro staffer with us and he was also named uh, this year's Staffer of the Year. And that is our own pro staffer, Kurt Eckelberry. Kurt, welcome to Fall Obsession Podcast, man.
2: Hey, man, appreciate it. Glad we could finally get this done.
1: Yeah, happy to have you on, man. I've uh, been looking forward to getting an opportunity to talk to you for a little bit.
2: Yeah, this is a great opportunity.
1: So, guys, before we get into our discussion today, um, as always, you guys know the drill. This podcast is brought to you guys by our friends over at Elite Archery. We're very grateful to our partnership for with them over there. Um, they've helped us out a lot in the last year and putting quality products in, in our hands. Um, I'm running the Cure this year. It's a awesome bow. And if you guys haven't shot it yet, I encourage you to go to your local dealer, pick one up, take the Elite Shootability Challenge, and see if it's right for you. Put some arrows down rage, Put it up against any other bow out there. Um, like I always say, the biggest mistake you can make is buying a different brand of bow before you try an Elite. So. Um, check them out at elitearchery.com and go to your local dealer and, uh, shoot one and see what you think. So, and Kurt, I think, uh, you, you've been running, a, an older model elite, uh, recently, haven't you?
2: Yes, that's correct. Uh, I bought a, it's the elite impulse 34, I believe it's a 2017 model. Yeah. Uh, it's been a sweet, sweet bow for me. Um, the draw cycle on it, it's like nothing else I've ever pulled before. Uh, I i was i was a previous matthews guy um but i'm glad i made the
1: switch it's it's night and day difference with this bow man i'm glad you i'm glad you mentioned that because it's uh back when i worked at worked at a bow shop it was um the energy series and then the, the impulse and all those bows were were rolling out and elite was just starting to gain some traction and kind of make a name for themselves. And I remember shooting those bows, man. And like you said, the draw cycle and everything on them was just absolute awesomeness. In my opinion, it was just butter. Um, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot an elite at the time, but, um, I'm glad I am now because I, I feel like they just continue to improve upon their products. And those older products like that impulse and stuff like that are, are, are still ready to rock and roll so that's good stuff yeah
2: it's been a great bow i've had it for about a i think i'm going on my second season with it and my rule's always been you know don't upgrade to at least kill something with it and uh i, I passed a few too many last year and did not harvest with 34 so i'm stuck with it again this year but i'm <laughs> dying <laughs> i'm dying to try the um the new cure so hopefully maybe this next year we'll be uh, ordering one of those
1: yeah, I gotta gotta knock something down this year so you can move yeah. on. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Well, man, uh, just to kind of get us started and get us into our conversation, um, obviously, if folks follow Fall Obsession or have for for even just a little bit of amount of time recently, then no doubt have seen some of your content. But um, just to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about yourself and kind of your experience as a hunter and and where you find yourself hunting typically.
2: Okay. Yep. Uh, my name's Kurt Acquibre. I started out as a field staffer for fall obsession and, uh, kind of background for me as I grew up in North central Ohio, started out hunting very, very young with, uh, my grandpa. He owned uh, out like a hunting store slash red wing Carhartt type of deal and, uh, met a lot of good people through there. And I, I think that's a lot of the properties we used to hunt came from that, uh, just meeting people through the store and, my, my dad uh, started me out in the big game part of it, I guess. So whitetail hunting with him, killed my first deer with him, and then did all the small game stuff, raccoon and squirrel and the rabbit, stuff like that with grandpa. And then, uh, let's see, 2000, so that was probably till about the age of 14, I hunted Ohio, killed my first uh, archery buck at 11 years old. So my first gun deer would have been at 10 And killed some other smaller bucks in between here, like from the ages of, I don't know, nine to about 14. And we moved out west to Colorado. Um, That was an experience I could never take back. It was uh, 13, yeah, yeah, I think it was 2003 to about 2016 is when I finally moved back here. But, uh, you know, on that time, I met a lot of great people and uh, got the chance to work for a guy when I was in high school up to... I was probably like eight, just a little over 18, and he was a huge outdoorsman. Uh, Introduced me to tons of people, got to meet a lot of different people on jobs that were outdoorsmen, and um, learned a lot of great spots in Colorado. If anybody's familiar with Colorado, it's uh, pretty much Unit 53 and 63 is where I spent a lot of my time. It's the western slope of Colorado. Hunted a lot of uh, Gunnison National Forest. Tried to draw uh, a lot, you know, every tag I could, get my hands on, uh, you know, if nobody's ever done that, it's it's a process coming from an eastern state where you can get everything over the counter. You know, you just walk in your local store and, you know, I need a deer tag hunting license. And, you know, when you start out west and what you guys probably go through this, you know, traveling around uh, your Montana tags and stuff like that is the draw process. And it's not just handed to you over the counter. Yeah. There's a lot, of rules, a lot of rules and regulations to, to keep up on out west. So uh, back to the hunting part. I mean, I've tried to kill about every... Type of species I could in Colorado. I was lucky enough to kill some decent bear. Got my hands on some pretty good bulls. A lot of cow elk and uh, a few muleys. Not as much as I would like. Uh, surprisingly, they don't hand tags out for muleys. Very easy out west. So, and then 2016 came back to Ohio and been here since. And getting back in the whitetail swing of things. It's a pretty big transition from out west to coming back east. So,
1: yeah, I imagine so. Used to used to all that. Big big game and now you got a uh, just little whitetails wandering around.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's uh they are a challenge here though. I mean it's 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 I can never trade in my time for Colorado though, like I said. but I mean a whitetail is my bread and butter. It's it's what I love to do. It's it's definitely a challenge.
1: Absolutely. So how long have you been a bow hunter?
2: Uh let's see. I let's see two thousand I'd say 2001 is when I probably had my first whitetail kill, but, you know, I messed around bows before then. You know, I think probably when I was 11, I would say, was when I was probably strong enough to, you know, shoot an actual legal. I think 40 pounds was probably the limit back then.
1: Yeah. And you've shot trad before as well, correct?
2: That's right. Yeah, so I guess I've been archery hunter for 20 years, and I would say – probably five of those years in between. And I shot a black widow traditional. Yes. Yeah, 63 pound recurve and awesome. managed to kill. Yeah. I killed a few animals with it. That was, uh, it's one of those things with the art, with the traditional side of it, you better have a lot of time to practice and, you know, everybody gets busy with their work life and it just, I didn't feel ethical with it anymore. You know what I mean? After, uh, you know, starting to work a lot. And so I went back to a uh, compound there.
1: Yeah. That's always Traditional is always something that's kind of sparked my interest a little bit. I've never, I've never bought one. I've never gone full blown into it or anything. When I worked at a bow shop, we'd mess around with them sometimes and, you know, fling some arrows downrange, but, um, always been interested, but I've always been a compound guy. I've never, I've never actually made the commitment, like you're saying with time and everything else to, to go full blown into it, but something that I'd like to do at some point in my life for sure. looks fun. Yeah.
2: For sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's a whole nother level going to that. You know, it's uh you're shooting heavy and slow and it uh, seems like the heaviness of the arrow with the recurve, you know, is starting to make its way back through the compound part of it. You know, people are starting to realize that a heavy arrow is definitely very lethal. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. it's not all about speed
1: anymore. So. so you're running that you're running that impulse this year. What what's the rest of your the rest of your setup look like you I mean you kind of just mentioned arrows so I was a little curious about what your arrow build is and everything this year
2: yeah uh so I've shot a 340 spine with my older bows and I tried to roll them 340s into shooting this impulse and I, I think it's 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 a, it's so much newer and better you know it, it it's given me it was giving me a lot of tail whip and just problems with the 340 spines they were obviously too weak so I had to step up to a 300 spine um shooting the gold tip xp's XT 100 XTs and then I got 100 grain brass inserts up front plus a 125 uh tip up front and then uh, I fletched feathers on mine this year that's new for me I I shot feathers when I did traditional and then veins when I went back to the compound and now I'm back to feathers again just a kind of a different look and kind of actually bringing that traditional look in I've been doing some wraps and the feathers are barred so yeah they're shooting really shooting really good
1: very cool what's your total air weight do you know?
2: Uh, I want to say I'm around like 495. Don't quote me on that. I need to actually weigh them this year, but I think that's the magic number I was
1: trying to find, about
2: 495.
1: That's awesome. That'll pack a punch right there.
2: Yeah, and I know there's some guys shooting heavier stuff. Some of our staffers are pretty heavy, and I can't wait to see the pictures of, you know, what they do. I I love seeing the pass-through shots, you know, especially if somebody hits bone. It's pretty impressive to watch an arrow that heavy just blast through it, you know, so.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, talking about, our, talking about our staffers and everything, we'll kind of change gears a little bit, and I wanted to ask you about our Fall Obsession staffer programs, because you've been involved for um, over a year now, and recently moved, made that transition from field to pro staff, and also congratulations for your staffer of the Year title that you now have as well. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been a good year. Uh, did not expect, any you know, to go the way it did. It was a, a far beyond what I expected as a staffer program. Uh, there's a lot of different programs out there that, you know, you could try to get with. And I just lucky I paired up with Fall Obsession that pretty much checked all my boxes of what I was looking for. You know, we, we don't centralize our content just around our staffers. I mean, we like to, but we also get to go outside and do family members and friends and you know, show that content. So that's pretty cool. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great program. And, and, you know, I think on one of our podcasts earlier you talked about the brotherhood, you know, of like how, how tight we all are together. That's really true. You know, like the con you staying in contact with all these staffers and we're all discussing hunting and arrow setups and just, you know, who's hunting this and we're helping each other out, you know, like uh, Kevin Johansson when he went out West, you know, I tried to give him every tip I could about Colorado and, you know we just talk back and forth about whitetails or whatever it may be and i think you know everybody as a staffer is you know absolutely thrilled with the program and how it's going and how it's you know professionally ran it's uh it's been a great year and looking forward to see what you know what we can do this year
1: yeah i am too man i've i've enjoyed uh, over the years seeing the the contributions and everything that the guys have brought to the table and how how the not to knock on our on our earlier stuff, but even just over the years how the co- the quality of content has has evolved and to see guys passion, especially the guys who have been here been staffers force for longer amounts of time you know how how they're how they've kind of grown in developing their own content as well um, and it, it's been really cool and and I, I can't say enough about the the brotherhood like you were talking about either um, I that's something that you guys have done. At y'all's level you know we can from an administrative side we can give you guys the the tools and the opportunity basically the ability to talk to each other but then you guys are the ones that actually build and nurture those relationships and it's been really cool to see um you know that family develop if you will because i feel like there's so many especially for and and not not to talk bad about other other staffer programs that's not my intention i think there are great staff programs out there but Seems like with bigger companies, you get more people involved, and it's just you're—it's a name and a number and a system, basically. Um, and and that's not what I want to—that's not what I want to see. That's not what we want our family, if you will, to be. We we want that brotherhood aspect of it for sure. And it's been really cool to watch that develop and and uh, come to fruition because it's it it's awesome. It it it's a hunting camp. It's an online hunting camp, is what it is. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it for sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a good year. That's all I can say. I I'm stoked for this year. It's gonna be great.
1: Well, I look forward to seeing what what you bring, man. Uh, again, uh, congrats on that title, and we appreciate your content that you brought brought in so far, and uh, and looking forward to everything that's gonna come. Like you said, this upcoming fall.
2: Yep, I plan on keeping it keeping it rolling. Hopefully, there's some. Uh, I know some of our other staffers are getting ready to turn it up and turn in some good content here i'm sure where there's a lot of guys holding some good tags and got some big things happening this year so hopefully they can get it documented you know and share it with everybody that's what it's about
1: yeah man we're we're right there we are days and weeks and hours away from season starting if they haven't already and i, I couldn't be more pumped yeah i i hear you on that one <laughs> so what what do you have uh what do you have for this year? What what's what's on the agenda?
2: So we'll start off. Uh, there'll probably be some new faces in my content this year. Uh, kind of, I, I, you
1: remember the youth turkey hunt that I did? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay,
2: so JT, he was the he'd been nine years old at the time. He's got a friend that's twelve, and he is itching to fill the freezer. So we're gonna kick off with probably a Ohio doe tag or they're called a special permit now i guess so they've lowered the price of doe tags in ohio to 15 so i think they pretty much cut them in half i think they were around 30 so early season i don't get too crazy with the whole hunting the big boys type stuff yet so and it's usually pretty hot and it's easy to get a doe hopefully so uh we'll get the doe tag taken care of and then i have my Either sex tag, I guess, if you want to call it that, for Ohio. So I got a new lease here. I think you guys saw the shooter on there that I sent in. He's an absolute stud.
1: Yeah, man, I I saw that picture come through, and I don't remember who I was sitting next to when that email came in, but I showed it to somebody, and I, it 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 blew me away. That that deer is a monster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's what you know. That's what you want to. What you want to see, uh, it's just a little 12 acre partial I picked up last, um, let's see, late last winter, I guess. I hunted it just a few times and uh, I have a buddy that hunts over that way and kind of led me into a tip saying there was a big boy running that area. And uh, we put some cameras up, had some camera failures, which was right in prime time of documenting what's going on out there. So I had to um, put a new camera up. And we went in and pulled that card probably three weeks ago. And uh, I took my buddy and his son and then my youth hunter. And we set a tree stand before we pulled the card. If I would have known what was going on before, I would not have took everybody in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, and uh, it, it definitely it, it it messed things up for a little bit. It looked like he vanished for a couple weeks, but he's back. I got some good pictures of him. So he'll be my number one target buck for this year. Um, I got a couple other farms uh, some other bigger deer on it. Uh, it's a little bit better late season. So, well, I guess I'd say I'm not going to get hot and heavy with the hunting the big boy probably till you know, usually October 20th and then on is when things get real good here. We come in uh, September 26th is our start date for archery here. It uh, runs till February 2nd, I think. So, we got time. Uh, and then in the mix, there will be my regular West Virginia rifle season that's usually i usually go down thanksgiving night that's what happened last year and i harvested the next day so hopefully i can do that again I'm gonna take a couple more people with me this year fill the freezer i guess
1: yeah yeah that uh that hunt that you sent in for that west virginia trip last year was was a really cool video and and i'll kind of real quick direct our followers and our listeners to um our website and our YouTube pages cause um, you mentioned that hunt that hunts documented on video. You killed a really nice buck. Um, did a good job self filming on that one. That one's on our pages. And then also, um, you mentioned earlier the, the youth hunt with, uh, with JT and that hunt is also on camera. So if you guys, uh, are wanting to see some of Kurt's videos and stuff like that, go to our website and our YouTube page and check those out. So.
2: Yeah, so with the West Virginia, uh, the camera guy that usually rolls with me, he had to go back to work or something like that. So I ended up documenting that hunt with a GoPro. Um, But I'm pretty excited this year. It sounds like everybody's going down with me and we'll be running the big Sony camera. So it'll be nice and clear and good footage like the turkey hunt was. So hopefully we can kill another big boy like we did last year. That was very unexpected. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just just going down to kill us, you know, whatever, just something with horns. And that's the way it's always been in West Virginia. You know, guys just would have to get the meat and it's not a state to brag about horn size, but it's kind of turning that way. Now there's getting to be a lot of big deer on the Ohio West Virginia border for sure, right across the Ohio river. I mean, guys are, and then there's some spots in Southern West Virginia, I guess guys are killing some monsters, but you know, we didn't run any trail cameras on that uh, property down there. Um, when I took layoff from the railroad, we built the cabin and we worked our butts off on it getting it built. And the hunt was a little bit different for me. You know, I've always been the guy that's the for you know, an hour and a half in the stand in dark, you know, watching the woods wake up. And I woke up that morning with, you know, no Intel, on any of the deer size there, anything that was running the property. And I kind of told myself, you know, you, you bust your butt building this thing. It's your kind of mini vacation. I think I was off four or five days and, uh, I just kinda kicked it, waited later. I remember sitting there drinking coffee and my, my body my brain tell me, you know, you need to go, it's getting daylight. And at the same time I'm like, No, you need to enjoy it. Just sit here and I watched it get light and I knew as you know, with the cabin placed in a pretty good spot, you could honestly probably shoot one from the cabin, you know, from <laughs> just outside. So I remember walking up the hill there. Pretty daylight at that time. It was definitely shooting light quite a bit past actually and uh you know I was just like I'm just gonna take it easy if I fall asleep whatever take a nap I don't care and it wasn't like an hour later I think like seven or eight deer come funneling off the hillside a neighbor shot and there was a couple bucks running in that group and well you know luckily that big guy he was he had, I had no idea he was that big until I got up to him it was a pretty good moment walking up on a deer that that caliber <laughs> especially for West Virginia. And uh, not plan on coming home with something that big. So.
1: Yeah, it's
2: really good. Hunt. One I will never forget.
1: We uh, we definitely enjoyed enjoyed watching that and experiencing that with you through the video. That, that was awesome.
2: Yeah, hopefully we can get another good video this year.
1: Absolutely. So, backing up just a little bit on that on that big boy that you got on camera. Do you have uh, any? competing hunters in neighboring properties that you're that you're worried about with him or you think that you uh it's going to be mostly you for at least the first part of the season
2: yeah you know that's a risk we always run into i with it being a newer property i'm not really familiar with the neighbors so i've only just kind of from what the, you know what the landowner said has told me about like who's hunting here over there what you know like i just found out that the property to the east, you know, the guy told me, he's like, if it crosses their fence line, you will not be able to recover that deer. So whoever was hunting this lease before I was, I guess they've had some issues where a deer ran onto the neighbors. They would not let him recover it. You know? And I think Ohio law is, I mean, even with a game warden, you cannot go in and get it. So Hmm. that's kind of sketchy. I know there's some hunters around, you know, hopefully that buck obviously is comfortable being on this lease and not maybe make an appearance on their side where they're going to know about it, which I'm sure eventually he's going to travel and get on somebody else's camera. But you know, that's why I love staying out of these pieces like this because this buck was getting, I mean, he's getting up like three or four times a day to come hit the minerals and a big boy like that, like he has to be super comfortable be giving me all daylight photos you know coming in like three or four times a day i probably got 200 pictures of this block oh, like really? i've had bigger deer, yeah and i've had bigger deer on camera and they're not they're not as consistent as this guy so it's it's different you know that the, this property's a big bedding area it's pretty much a sanctuary and i want to keep it that way you know the you know everybody's goal i think is try to keep them off the neighbors <laughs> you know <laughs> so you know we, we i'd love to have a fair shot at them i, I think i will you know, that's, I'm, I'm not even going to go in there until the, the, the weather's right. You know, obviously it's going to be a good, good time to get in there. I'm not going to try to go in there early season and screw it up. So probably won't even shoot any does off that property. But yeah, I, I don't know. You know, a neighbor could get a crack at it. I hope to God that this buck stays on our piece. I would, I'd love to take him for sure. He's a, he's got a lot of character. He's and i've never seen bases on a deer like this you know like you guys can't really see it in the picture that i sent but i scrolled through some photos the other day and i mean he's got absolute tree trunks of bases i mean i probably almost the same size as some of the elk i've killed
1: oh wow that's uh that's crazy and yeah the the you know those small properties like you said they're it it can be hard sometimes with uh with deer traveling and and the neighbors and that kind of stuff i remember uh, a few years back we hunted a it was only for one year but we had just this little 30 acre piece and only probably half of it was really huntable if you will um didn't know the neighbors didn't know if they hunt or not it was kind of tucked back in just a really weird location in the first place but started running cameras and and we had some we had two really good bucks in the area Um, one of them had no mass, but he was really wide and just a lot of character. And the other one had, he was a non-typical, he had, I don't know, three or four splits going off of his G2s and G3s, tight, tight rack, not wide at all, but, um, just mass and points everywhere. Lots of pictures, some daylight photos of these deer and come two weeks into the season, they were gone and never came back. Like it was just... It was one of those deals where you knew that they traveled and somebody else got them somewhere else, and and that was that. So,
2: yeah, you always hope you know the neighboring properties aren't getting photos of these you know those bigger bucks. And we're right now we're in the part of the year where the velvet's getting ready to come off, and you know you hear the guys say, well, they completely left the farm, you know, and sometimes that's not the case. It took me a few years to figure that out. Sometimes just their travel pattern changes, maybe. You know 80 to 100 yards away you know i've had two monster bucks consistently last year coming in to hit our minerals and all of a sudden it just vanished you know and it i moved the trail camera maybe 80 yards to a field edge on a scrape and there they were i picked them back up like almost every night again you know they did not and i had both cameras i had one over minerals and one on the field edge and the mineral site never got a picture of them again as soon as the velvet was off and then 80 yards away they're raking these scrapes and hitting the licking branches consistently you know so that that's an, a new thing i found you know if if your mineral sites go dead or your baiting sites go dead just move your camera to a social point you know every deer is going to use that scrape and you know they want to rub all their scent on the licking branches and stuff like that so um with this big guy he quits coming to the minerals i'll just you know move the camera over to the scrape
1: yeah that's that's good advice right there yeah so stuff that some guys might not think about at times you know you get a buck that just disappears um or just stop seeing deer you don't think don't always think about moving your camera especially depending on how far into the year you are but
2: yeah you know, and I, I believe their priorities change you know they, they they're they're not wanting the, the nutrition part of it i don't think anymore you know that's the whole thing of minerals is you know i think their body's calling for it obviously when they're growing their horns and then once the belt is off I, you know things change i think they're out doing inventory pretty much on what deer are in the area and they don't maybe their body isn't calling for the nutrition part of it like that you know so the the scrapes and looking branches are the place to be with the cameras for sure it's I get a lot of great pictures and video it's actually really fun putting these cameras on video and watching these deer I mean they up on two legs you know and it's pretty wild watching them how aggressive they are working these scrapes or even early season you know a lot of guys think they aren't doing this until you know late october here when the weather's cold but like i'm getting these like pretty much soon as the velvet's off these guys are hitting these scrapes so
1: yeah for sure man so what kind of is there you talk about running minerals and stuff like that or is there any any particular uh products or stuff that guys should be looking out for uh that's been working for you pretty good
2: yeah we threw everything at them this year i was just trying to mix things up a little bit we ran VAPL for on one farm the whole summer got a ton of pictures off of it like every card pull was I mean I probably pull my card every maybe three weeks something like that you know and like a couple of times the thing was maxed out like I'm talking 2300 to 2800 photos wow. so yeah and I don't know what gig card that would be like 10 or a 12 but my 16s they usually never get full I still get close to 2000 pictures Um JT's dad the kid from the youth hunt made a special his own kind of custom blend mineral so we played with that this summer it was uh pretty fun to watch all the deer come to that to a homemade blend there's that Vapple and then actually I didn't tell you this we planted a Vapple white Dutch clover plot awesome. I need to yeah I need to do a video on that um, I can't really take credit for doing any of the manual labor part of it but I did purchase the seed <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, it's on my stepdad's lease it sounds like it's like an acre and a half Um, we planted it before some rain we were we had a a really really dry summer here in Ohio and I think that was the case in the Midwest I've seen a lot of stuff online where guys were waiting out there was supposed to be a lot of rain coming and everybody planted their food pots well the brain kind of broke up and it was really hit and miss so this thing sat for like two and a half weeks with zero rain, absolutely nothing. And I thought it was going to be done. I think he said it got like a quarter inch within three weeks and it kind of came up and looked wilted, you know? And I'm like, well, this is going to be a true tester of Apple products right here. You know, this <laughs> thing is going to make it or not. Well, he, we finally got some rain here in the last week. So I think this food plot's probably going on like four and a half, five weeks old now. And my stepdad said it looks phenomenal. So I want to go over and get some pictures of it and get it on line for you guys to, give a very honest review of like what a food plot would look like from Vapple, you know, in the northern central Ohio. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. We uh we talk about their attractive products and and their scents and all that kind of stuff quite a bit, but um food plots is one thing that uh, I don't feel like we talk about enough and I know only you know kind of have to have the right setup to be able to do something like that, but yeah, that'd be awesome to to see one of those coming to life and and what it can produce for sure
2: yeah exactly i mean i don't think any food plot can really compete with the the natural crops that you know we we have around here are crops and soybeans i mean or are the corn and beans you know a soybean field here is a big attractant for whitetails you know and it's hard to pull them away from that until they're gone you know so this apple plot i I believe late season and once the crops are harvested here it's it's going to get pounded so um hopefully i can get some documentation of that we got some pretty good box blinds set up over this food plot and hopefully get some good video some good footage or maybe some pretty good sized bucks out there that would be a great deal there
0: yeah
1: that'd be awesome man as if you as if you don't already have big bucks <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i just I, I seem to get lucky every year i mean it's i, I i'm a firm believer that honestly every every big tract of land around here and where we live, you know, there's at least one good buck on everybody's property, you know. So, I was just fortunate enough to have one on this little 12 acre lease that we got.
1: Yeah, it's it's the it's the little properties that are kind of they can be sleepers. I mean, like you said, it, it seems if you if you look in the right places, everybody can find a big buck. But man, those those small little properties they pack some giants from time to time. It, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would take five acre parcels over, you know, a big 50 acre parcel. I, I love a these little tracks. It's, it's amazing to find these monster bucks laying close to people's houses and like right literally in their backyard, like where I have a camera, um, with the two other big bucks that I have like five years history with, I can honestly hear the lady like calling in her pets and like hear her morning conversations on the phone. They're that close where we get you know where i get these
0: pictures
2: (laughs) you know and you wouldn't think anything you would never think that you know and i think guys are starting to find out like these big bucks lay i mean right i mean the car is going by like you can hear it in my videos you know a lot of them you know I'll, i'll find these buck beds and these monster scrapes and like huge rubs and it's literally like right next to a road you know a busy road or somebody's pretty much backyard yeah. You know, same thing with this, this small 12-acre lease that I got. I can I can hear the lady when she's doing, like, her garden work, you know, and this bucks are, like, laying right there. It's it's wild. You know, you you think they, they'll they be out in the middle of these big tracks, these big block of woods, and, you know, they might be, but it seems like they're more consistent with – they're more comfortable if they know the person's not going to harm them. Like, they, they just want to – they know they're not going to get disturbed, basically, and I think, you know, I don't know. It's, it just blows me away thinking about it. You never would have thought that before, you know, you, you always push to get back in deep and get away from people. And I don't know if the deer are changing here and picking up what's going on, you know, (laughs) I don't know, you know, it's,
1: yeah, it's always a, it's always an an interesting dynamic and and going from place to place and, and white-tailed behavior. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hunter, hunting pressure has a lot to do with it. I get that. so.
1: So you hunt a lot of a lot of private land it sounds like how how hard is it to to find a a, a lease if the, if you will up there in in your neck of the woods in Ohio
2: So uh I have I mean we're slowly losing properties and I I think this is happening to a lot of people you, you very seldom talk to a hunter that's like I just picked up all these leases or I got all this new ground you know and it, it it's pretty sad you know when I was growing up Farmers were like probably around that 500 acre to 1,500 acre. That was kind of a normal size farm. Maybe there were some smaller mom and pop farms, you know, that guys would be like, yeah, you know, if you want to hunt it, go ahead. But the problem is now is, which I guess is obviously benefits the farmers, they're buying up all the smaller ones, you know. So some of these farmers up here, you know, are average probably 2,500 to 5,000 acres. I mean, some of them are bigger, 10,000. And it's, you know, you go doing the door knocking thing, like everybody used to and you get there and they're like, Oh, we already got so and so out there hunting and you know, you're kinda like, Great. So you got one guy hunting five thousand acres and that you know, and this is why our deer population's so high here, I believe, you know. Which, you know, like an average Joe like me, we can't you can't go pay eleven thousand for an acre for yourself, you know, and oh, yeah. get a nice get a nice piece of hunting ground, you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't work like that, you know. So I mean it's cool the farmers are getting bigger and making more money, obviously that's Great for them and their family, but you know, for a guy that's just trying to find a piece of ground to hunt, it's getting tough, and guys are losing it. You know, I, I, we, between me and my stepdad, we probably have half the properties we used to hunt. And, and as far as public land, I mean, I don't know all Ohio's public land. You know, Wayne National Forest is probably one of the biggest ones in the state, and uh, I've never hunted it. Don't know really anything about it. Don't even want to get into it. But, I just hear it gets pounded, and. Uh, a lot of pressure down there so yeah I mean I, I wish it was like it used to be where we could get more ground you know and I think you know with white tail hunting getting super popular and everybody wants to kill the monsters you know it's just like the small game thing it's going away you know we have like a horrible raccoon problem here it's <laughs> as crazy that as it sounds but like you can dump out a bag of corn in front of your trail camera and like it's nothing to have 15 coons on it at one time and that's from people got these properties locked up or farmers aren't letting people hunt small game because they're worried about killing these monster bucks and it's it's crazy how things have changed you know from when i was a kid to to now so i i that's why i do everything i can to hold on to my leases you know don't be taking a bunch of buddies in there you know if you got permission to hunt it for you keep it that way you know don't be trashing up the properties and stuff like that and try to hold on to it
1: yeah makes you work harder for sure
2: exactly yep
1: well, Kurt, really appreciate um, you coming on the podcast with us. Um, we are kind of cutting, getting toward that uh, that magic number for our time that we try to shoot for. Um, but before we let you go, I'm going to hit you with uh, what we call a rapid fire questions. Just a few questions about hunting and some stuff to to maybe get you pumped up about and look forward to. So, all right. First off, what is your favorite? hunting memory that comes to mind and tell us a little bit about it
2: oh wow that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good hunting memory probably the first time i killed a bull elk i guess you know that's kind of a majestic creature there you know you work hard out there and uh, i was in colorado obviously when that happened but to push yourself and i think i had a real dry archery season that year i can't remember exactly how that went down but ended up harvesting a five-by-five five bull with one of my good friends um at the time of day that you would not expect it you know it was like super hot in the middle of the day kind of you know your morale's low you're waiting for the evening to come and then uh, this bull stepped out and put the smack down on him so <laughs> it was i'll never forget that you know we we're i just remember we were like in t-shirts just sweated up dehydrated tired you know and i think that's what makes the hunt so much more fun you know is uh, the challenge of it being like that
1: yeah absolutely
2: when when it it really does you know when it does happen it just adds that much more excitement to it so
1: it's crazy how your your mentality can go from defeat to complete and just (laughs) a 180 all the way the opposite just in a few seconds
2: (laughs) yeah and i love it like that you know it sucks at at the time. But then when you do harvest, it's like, Oh, that's why I did it. That's why we do it. You know? So,
1: yeah, absolutely. Next question. What is a bucket list hunt that you have not gotten to do yet that you would like to do at some point in your life?
2: Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've already killed some black bear, but I would like to maybe change the terrain up a little bit. I've done the out West thing and then, you know, obviously hunting Midwest. So I would love to go north. I would love to go see the north and uh pursue one of the bear species, whether it be a grizzly brown or black. So yeah that would be definitely a bucket list for me. So I'm gonna get it done eventually, hopefully.
1: Awesome. Well third and final question. Uh, we've been talking a lot about deer hunting up in your neck of the woods and everything this podcast. Um, you getting given us a lot of little tips and tricks throughout the episode, it feels like. But um, what's one big piece of advice you think you got for whitetail hunters um, about to kick off their season this fall?
2: Don't burn your spots out and play the wind. Uh, do not go in on a marginal wind unless you know you can get it done, I guess. You know, I, I hear that all the time guys are like i don't play the wind anymore you know which i i guess sometimes you can if if you're maybe doing the ozonics thing i don't have a lot of background with the ozonics so i can't really say but i preach you know don't burn your spots out if it's not the right day don't do it you're better off setting it out i know everybody wants to be in the woods you know and i have spots that i can go mess up and it doesn't really hurt anything because there was nothing on that farm anyways i mean i still like to get out and just go and say i did it too you know but if you're messing with a big caliber deer, you know, just stay out of there till it's time. And I think your odds are, you know, killing them are a lot higher. I guess quality over quantity is what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah. No, that, that's good stuff right there. I, I couldn't agree more. I've, I'll raise my hand. I'm guilty of, of doing that before you live and learn. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it hurts at the end of the year when you, you got that tag in your pocket still and you wish you would have stayed out of there then. You know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, Kurt, I, I really appreciate, like I said, you coming on the podcast uh, with me this morning, taking some time out of your day to record. It's been awesome talking with you, and I hope that uh, hope that our listeners enjoyed it and got something from it, man.
2: Yeah, hey, I appreciate the time. Hopefully, uh, the next one we do, we talk about a big buck I killed this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. and hopefully that's a big buck that, uh, that our followers have already seen.
2: <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I just hope everybody has a good season and we get some good content and everybody has a good safe season.
1: Same here man. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a I think it's gonna be a really good year. so well guys, thank you all for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it as always. Um, if you have not already, go check out fall obsession on all of our social media pages. That's Facebook, Instagram. We are on Twitter as well. Our YouTube channel hit that subscribe button. We got a, a lot of awesome videos and some mini series going on right now. Um, new episodes and videos every single week. If you haven't already, also hit that follow and subscribe button on this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Um, We'd love to keep bringing you quality uh, quality content in the form of podcast episodes. Fallobsession.com, that is the hub. That's where you guys can go to find all of our content, all of our reviews, articles, uh, our videos are on there as well. Some uh, episodes from our flagship series, our show Fall Obsessed Outdoors, like we mentioned earlier, Kurt's videos are on there as well. So, um, go check that out. And there's also a page, if you go to fallobsession.com slash podcast, there is a page where you can guys can fill out a form and send us a topic suggestion. Um, tell us what you think of our podcast. If you got any questions, you can ask them there and maybe even uh, suggest a topic. And we'll cover it in a future episode. So thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. Kurt, thank you once again, buddy. I appreciate you coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you for the time.
1: All right, and we will see you guys again next week. another fall obsession podcast episode we'll catch you later you'd think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing but,
0: as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.